So I have this habit of cracking my neck several times a day, right? Anybody else have that habit? Thank you. My family members right here. Thank you. I have this habit of stretching out every word I say. I have this habit of waking up a certain way. This habit of brushing my teeth most days. We know when we have habits. Do we know when we have addictions? We use that term habit to define something fairly harmless, but when you can't stop doing something harmful, I like to call that addiction. The willful decision to do what seems to defy all logical description, it's as if you know the facts, but still accept the fiction, clenching restriction when freedom was the original prescription, addiction. I say that word and I think of a drug addict shooting up, popping pills, getting high just so he can feel, or is it so he can't, addiction. I have to be honest and tell you, it is not limited to those who abuse a substance. Perhaps your addiction can be whatever you choose to abuse with a never behaving craving and always saying, I gotta have it. No matter the cost, no matter who's win, no matter what's lost, must have that car, those shoes, that girl, the fanciest cruise, power over others, control, more money to be successful. So maybe we've all had struggles with addiction and our drug has been whatever we use to get a high, to feel emotionally fly from an obsession with luxury possessions, a girl, a guy, video games, movies, cars, careers, clothes, impressing folks, sports, popularity, fashion, all to make us happy, all to cover up sadness. Maybe at some point we've all been drug addicts. Longing for the next high, so the next high isn't high enough and I must dare say, now please stay with me here because I must dare say some have even made Jesus their drug. Because a drug is not something you are necessarily loyal to. It's more like something you willfully, habitually abuse because it gives you a high. But you and I know Christianity is about God most high. Now who can get the most high? Because I've seen some so high at an altar calling God their father, but have they gone past the high in the relationship? Because we can pray a prayer. Hey, feel pretty good. Go to church once in a while. It's a free country, so we could. And not realize our bondage to pleasures and sin may have carried over into our relationship with him. Because if we're starving for freedom, it's because we're starving for him. But I don't think he wants to be a drug that we run to when we need a fix. Because if we treat him like a drug, we'll keep him a shh secret. And if he's a drug, he won't be one loved. Instead of living according to his freedom, I would be living as if he were the one I wish I were free from. That's not freedom. It's just freedom. Don't get the high, so, you know, treat them like just some random guy, like a bill pass due. Uh, don't want to pay attention, but you know you have to. I don't know about you, but I'm so guilty of treating God like a pricey restaurant. God, you're so awesome. You're worth it. I'll follow you. But is there a group on? So if we want to be free from addiction, maybe we should not treat God like a genie granting wishes who's just in existence to make me feel better all the time like a doctor's prescription. Sure, medicine can make you feel better. God can make you well. God offers life. Drugs promote hell. Vicks can help you breathe, but he gave you breath. And weed can get you high, yeah, but kind of like a bride that sleeps with every guy. Then you act surprised when you fished and caught a piranha because that's what happens when you marijuana. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. But then it also says, for God so loved the world. Created heavens and earth, so loved the world. See, the earth is not his world. His world is you. He was like, I gotta have you. So he died. And then like Valentine's, uh, rose. But not because you're his drug. Because he wanted to prove love. 
God is my reliever. Not like pain reliever, more like a reliever in baseball because I was playing this game I couldn't win. Just about lifeless, OD'd on lustful sin, but that's the moment he still stepped in, pitched a no-hitter and said to me, I took your place, son, you win. So I'm long done being a drug addict, and to be brutally honest, I was a pornography addict, reaching for heaven but couldn't get past the attic. And yeah, man, some days were a fight against old habits. That's how it is when you're a recovering addict. But because of what Christ has done in me, I sing a joyful melody. I used to be a drug addict, but Jesus set me free. I used to be a drug addict, but Jesus set me free. I used to be a drug addict, but Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. God gave me the strength to fight this war in me because Jesus, he's not my fix. He's my repair, lifetime, unlimited warranty. Thank you. I love how you bring about that powerful truth in such a gifted way. I'm so thankful that God brought you here. This is, by the way, their first time to Hawaii. Can we give them a warm welcome, you guys? So glad to have you here. We just want to dig, dig in a little bit deeper into that uh, powerful poem that he just shared and the story behind it. And uh, we have digital notes. We're not, if you're looking for your paper notes in your bulletin, we're saving trees this weekend. Digital notes, uh, if you haven't already, just download your free New Hope app on Apple or Android. And you can actually, if you create an account, save your notes there every single week so you never lose them anymore. How about that, huh? So uh, first time to Hawaii, and he knows what we like. We like free stuff. And, uh, and so he's given away a whole bunch of, uh, he's got some awesome shirts and some uh, kind of bracelets and some stickers and things out of his merchandising table out there. And so all you got to do is sign up for his Instagram page and he's going to pick a couple random people and uh, just bless you with this. So it's Mark J. the Poet. Go to Instagram and follow him along there and you may win something free, but definitely check out his table afterwards. And uh, you brought with you your beautiful wife, right? Yes, uh, maybe yes. introduce your family to yeah, us today. Absolutely. My wife, Alicia, was able to join me for this trip. I'm so grateful. And we're actually celebrating eight years of marriage this Come weekend. Come on. Happy anniversary. In Hawaii. Not a bad place to celebrate no. an anniversary. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. And these are my daughters, of course. Uh, I still haven't figured out how to say no to them. I don't know why. <laughs> but the one right next to me, that's Jaina. She's going to be five. And uh, the one beside her, my oldest, that's Aria. She's going to be seven this month. Wow, beautiful family, beautiful family. You'd look at that, that's this family, we'd look at, uh, at you and your, your powerful ministry here, and we'd, we'd be tempted to think, oh, man, this, they, they got it all together, yeah. right? But there was a point when the enemy was doing everything he could to steal that precious gift from you. Yes. And it goes all the way back, all the way back to when you were a kid. You want to unpack that for us? Yes, yes, yeah. way back. I have a poem that talks about it as well. It's called I Want a Divorce. Share some of my story. That's a powerful one. It goes way yeah. back, yeah, to when I was a kid. I remember being like... 10 years old and seeing just TV shows show up and scenes, certain scenes would just like get me this, this rush and that became addictive. I remember Baywatch, I would sneak around watching Baywatch when nobody was around and I didn't pay much attention to David Hasselhoff if you were wondering. Right, right, yeah. yes. 
but that feeling, it, it, gave me, it gave me a rush and it, it became more addicting, especially a few years later, at 13 years old, when dial-up internet was released. And some of us remember what dial-up internet was like. I'm seeing some confused looks in the young people. They have no idea what okay. dial-up is. It was this strange thing with a really weird sound. You guys remember it? You right? Right? Some of you guys, the kids have no idea what we're talking <laughs> no. about. But there was a thing before high-speed internet, and it was called dial-up, right? Yeah. It opens up the whole world for you, right? Yes. So you were just searching around. Yes. Yeah. And uh, as I put it, another one of my lines is, it was a world that would widen my web of fantasy. Mm. Pornography, compliments of Hugh Hefner's legacy. Mm. So, and mm. there I was, I found myself alone on this computer and I needed a computer for my home school. And I had internet, of course, and there was nobody home. My four siblings were out doing whatever, hanging out. My parents were not home. And I just got really curious. I was like, what can I find, you know, on this world wide web? So I started typing in some words and all kinds of images showed up that I had not been exposed to before, and they're just naked bodies. I'm like, whoa, and, and just like, whoa, what is this? Oh, that's how it works? You know, no one ever sat me down, explained to me how the human body works. And again, I was homeschooled, so I was barely figuring out how sexuality works. Sure. And I was like, whoa, this is eye-opening. But that became very addictive, that content, and I couldn't stop myself from going back to it. Yeah, and so you... You knew Jesus Christ. Yes. Not only were you a Christian, but your parents, your family, uh, they were pastors. Yes. Right? They started a church. And so you know inherently as you're looking at this, uh, your, your conscience is telling you this is not good. Right. But you didn't have anywhere to go. No. I, I felt like I was the only one. I felt like nobody else is talking about it, so how could I talk about okay. it? It's, it's really weird. I'm probably the only one in this whole church Right, because I went to events, I went to church services, uh, even purity events for, for men or young men, but nobody talked about pornography. I was, I, was pro I was thinking, like, I'm alone in this. I can't talk about it. Right, and, and the isolation keeps us in devastation because the enemy convinces us we're the only one, and yet yeah. uh, from then to now, it's just become this multi-billion you know, dollar industry. In fact, um, $97 billion industry worldwide for uh, pornography. Uh, way past dial-up, 4.2 million websites dedicated just to pornographic material. 70% um, of men 18 to 34 visit pornography sites regularly. And that's just a few of the stats that show that it's a, it's a very naive thing to think that in this church right here, those watching us online right now, that there's not a whole bunch of us that are struggling with an addiction to pornography, at least at some level or another. And so I'm so glad that you're here because right off the bat, we can dispel the myth and the lie that everybody at church is perfect. We're not here because we're perfect. We're here because he loves us with a perfect love that calls us to find freedom in him. And so whatever lie that kept him and has kept you in this place where you're feeling like I'm the only one, we're, we're getting rid of that right now. Yeah. Because what, what happens when that, uh, that secret convinces us that, that, uh, we, we, uh, that no one else is struggling with that? Then it's allowed to grow because it's the sins that are in secret in the darkness that can grow. Yes. But if you can shed light on them, that can dispel the darkness. Right, right. And it's hard to because there's so much shame, especially you're a pastor's kid. You're, you're ministering to youth. Uh, you're sometimes even preaching at the main service. Um, did you have to kind of uh, begin to compartmentalize? Like, I've got my Jesus box over here and then my secret uh, porn right. addiction over here? Yeah, and because I was so involved in ministry, of course, I had this thinking like, I'm supposed to be up here, right, on another level than everybody else, being a pastor's kid and everything. So it caused me to... 
yeah, have my ministry hat, and because I didn't know how to stop my addiction, I was like, ah, oh, well, I'm not looking at it that often, you know? Just, okay. It was only like once or twice a week this time, so it's not too bad. So right. I can still just not open up, not tell anybody about it, not really try to get help. I, I think I can manage it still. Yeah, we're good at justifying, right? Yeah, very yeah. good. Yeah, and, uh, and so fast forward a little while, um, you fall in love. Uh, obviously, I've, I've talked to your wife. You're married way out of your league. Yeah. <laughs> I was in the minors. She's in the majors. I, I'm right there with yeah. you, man. I'm right there with you. I feel the same way. And, uh, and maybe you, you felt like I did when I, I uh, talked with other Christian guys um, as, as so often we're struggling with lust and, and perversion. And, and so there was this myth going around that, man, once we find our wives, it'll all be cured. Yeah. Right, we won't have any problem. We won't be tempted anymore because now we'll have a sexual relationship in a place of purity and covenant with God, the way God originally designed it to be. Yeah. And that means everything gets cured at the altar, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think that? I same wish thing? you were that simple. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was just ridiculous to place that much responsibility on one individual, on one woman. Yes. It was not her responsibility to solve my lust issues and my habits. I was supposed to be the one to address those and work through those and be honest about them. But yeah, I thought, oh, once I get married, oh, my wedding day's coming up. This is awesome. I fell in love with a beautiful woman. She's a godly woman. I'm going to get married, and man, I'm not going to have to worry about pornography ever again. Right. It's going to be great. And of course, I was wrong. After yes. just three months of marriage, there I was on my new Apple iPad, because iPads had just come out at that time, and looking at sites, looking at pornography sites while she slept. Mm. And so, you, again, you realize, I'm not done with this thing. The thing that you thought you had control of was actually controlling you. Yes. Yeah. And I really, I deceived myself. The enemy had to deceive me into thinking that I had it under control, that I was managing it okay. But as I look back over the years, it was progressing. It was taking over. It was mm. ruling my life. I was, I couldn't, I couldn't go more than a day or a couple of days without going to pornography or calling up some chat line. Right. It was really ruling me. And, then, and it, uh, it always starts small and then begins to grow. Um, what satisfied before doesn't satisfy anymore. Right. Right. Yes. Lust, uh, one of my lines is, lust is a liar that'll claim to serve you, but in the end you will bow shamefully and call it sire. And that's what it had done to me. I had been bowing to lust, yeah. even though I called God my savior, like Jesus, he's my Lord, and I wanted him to be, but he really wasn't. Yeah. yeah and so the catalyst of but really what I consider the work and the grace of Jesus was that your wife discovered what you were doing. Yes. Tell us about that. Yes, being found out, it's a terrible feeling. I don't yes. know if you've been there before where yes. you're trying to hide something like, oh, it could be sneaky or whether you're stealing something or whatever it is. But yeah, that feeling of being found out, I remember like it was yesterday. I woke up and my wife wasn't lying next to me in the bed like she usually was. And so that popped the question, where is she? And secondly, where's my phone? My smartphone was not near me. I was like, oh, shoot, what's going on? So she comes into the room, and she's just crying. She has tears in her eyes and her face. And she's like, yeah, I found these sites on your phone. You've been looking at pornography. And, of course, I still tried to lie. I thought I could still hide it. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? Pornography? What? Me? Someone else was using my phone. Yeah, right. yeah. There was no way out of this right. one. I was like, yeah. no, I'm stuck. Yeah. So she found me. And so I was like, yeah, I had to confess, I had to fess up and admit that I had been doing those things and it had been a while. It had been something I had been struggling with. And she thought, you know, I had not been one of those guys to look at things like that. I had told her that. I lied to her for years, even when we were just dating. And uh, so after that hurt her and I saw how it impacted her, I said, okay, I'm going to change. I can do this. And the problem was 
I was only relying on my own willpower. Mm. So the cycle continued. After a month, I was back again. Oh, boy. Looking yeah. at those sites. And I, I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but uh, when we try and fight sin and addiction with logic, it's a losing battle. Yeah. You remember uh, growing up in youth group, um, my youth pastor would say, I don't know if you heard the same thing, but he would say, hey, listen, when you're tempted to lust after a girl uh, or think perverted thoughts, just remember she's your sister in the Lord. Now, would you ever think that way about your sister? And I'd be like, oh, that's really gross. <laughs> or he would say, and just remember that girl that you're looking at um, or mentally undressing, that's someone's daughter. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's really bad. <laughs> and so that logically, that totally made sense. And, I, and it was, it was a, a really important truth to bring out. But it doesn't actually work to stem the tide in the same way where you looked at, at your wife and the hurt and the pain. And you thought, oh, I've hurt the woman that I love the most. There's no way I'm going to do it again. Yeah. You're trying to fight something with logic that you, can't, you can only fight with the power of God. Yes. And it's not only true scripturally, it's also true scientifically. As, as more studies are done in the brain, we understand that, that when we look at uh, pictures of, of naked people, that it releases that dopamine, that it's an addictive drug. Um, and it rushes like a flood through our brain and it rushes right past our prefrontal cortex. You know, that's that, that front of the brain where we uh, determine right and wrong and where we think about logic. So we have all these logical reasons why addiction's bad, uh, pornography is bad, uh, alcohol is bad, drugs are bad. We look at the stories, we look at the devastation. Logically, we make the choice, I'll never do that or I'll never do that again or the hundredth time, I'll never do that again and again. Mm -hmm. And then when we look again, it just bypasses all of that logic like a super highway goes straight back to our reward system which is our limbic system in the back of our brain and makes us feel euphoric and all of those things that we didn't feel unless we were looking at those pictures or those sites or those movies and so it doesn't make any sense for us to try and fight off these addictions with logic and with reason and with facts or even stats because it's only the power of Jesus that's going to do it. That's right. And so uh, fast forward a little while, you're still trying to maintain this double life, but at least he had had enough. Yeah, yeah. By the way, the way you broke that down was just, wasn't that just amazing? Man, I'm done. There's hope on this story. We yeah, gotta yeah, get there, absolutely. Man. We gotta get there, yes. But yeah, when she found me out and... Uh, I remember, fast forward a few years, and continuing to hide my addiction, continuing to lie. The lies built up over, the, over time, and the guilt I carried inside, there was so much. Those, those secrets, they, they build up. Like if, if you're not getting them out, they stay in there, and they become this weight that just takes over your life, and you're walking around not even realizing oh. you're lifting weights it's when you shouldn't be. It's exhausting, right? Yes. It's exhausting, yeah. The secrets are hard work. Yeah. You clear your browsing history, you got to hide this, hide that, you got to think ahead, be mm. become creative planners, right? Like, wow, I can make sure this is hidden, that, get, I get really creative, I was really creative in that sense, and uh, I remember just finally giving up, like, on myself and believing that I could change, thinking that healing was not possible, trying everything I thought, except for actually going out and connecting with the body of Christ, actually going out and seeking guidance from people in real life, I thought I'd try everything. Okay. But at that point, when we were separated, I, I had written up divorce papers. I was, I was about wow. to file for a divorce. I was about to give up wow. on our marriage. And I, I thought, it's, it's going to be okay. This is, God made me with this addiction. I'm going to have to just live with it the rest of my life. And in that moment, in that season, there was a moment in my friend's living room. This guy, who just he kind of befriended me. And it kind of came out of nowhere because 
I had never really known him before. I just knew who he was, but he reached out to me and spent time with me. And I remember just being in his living room, and we just had a simple conversation. I remember just him kind of inviting me to be honest, to be real, to be vulnerable. Okay. And he's one of those guys who's just naturally honest. Like, he just shares his mind, shares his heart. So that inspired me to be honest. And in that moment, me being honest, I was like, whoa, that felt good. I didn't know honesty could feel good, and it could feel freeing like that. And that's when hope entered my life. And I was wow. like, well, maybe, maybe this can work. Maybe I can work my marriage out. And when you brought that into the light, did it feel like a, like a weight lifting off of your shoulders? Yes, it felt huge. Because yeah. spending like most of your life being so secretive yes. and just hiding things all the time and finally just being real and being vulnerable, that was so freeing. And I wish I had known. In that moment, I felt like I've been missing out mm. on this for so long. Why did you wait so long, right? Yeah. I was afraid. Yeah, yeah. I was afraid. I thought people would judge me. People would look at me differently. And I thought that hiding things was protecting me when hiding things was actually keeping me in prison. Wow. I, you know, the Holy Spirit was showing me through your story, there's a difference between getting caught and choosing confession. Mm. When your wife yeah. caught you, there wasn't that uh, liberation or freedom that Jesus wanted because with that, yeah. her catching you, there was not that guilt you now felt that guilt and that shame. Yeah, right. But with your confession to this brother, just getting it all off your chest, not getting caught, but freely offering in repentance, this yeah. is true, this has been my life, yes. there, the, that's where the freedom began to come. Yes, yes, that powerful just principle. I heard the scripture so many times, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another. James 5, 16. Yes. But I had done the pray for one another thing all the time, but never the confess part. Okay. I left that part out. Skip, I was like, yeah. I was like, the confession, let's just keep the confession between you and your yeah. God. Yeah, we're good. Right. But it, yes. was never, it was never good. And there's a reason. Script, scripture is there for a reason, every part of it. And if we can apply those simple principles, confess your sins one to another, that has been so liberating for me. So what would you say to those who are listening to your story going, well, that's all well and good for him, but if I told my wife or if I told the people in my life about my secret sexual addiction, I would lose my marriage, I'd lose my family, I might lose my job, or people in my church, uh, you know, would, would judge me. Um, and I've, I pretty much got it managed, you know, as long as no one finds out, uh, I, I can keep things, you know, keep things compartmentalized and manageable. What would, what would you tell mm. them? I would say it's hard to build a strong house unless you acknowledge the broken parts. And then when you can acknowledge those parts that are broken, hey, hey, man, I've been messing up. And being able to connect with the body of Christ, because I was disconnected from the body. Even though I went to church Sundays, I went to prayer meetings, I did all the ministry stuff, I was disconnected. But one of my lines is, honesty is Satan's kryptonite. Oh, oh that's so true. But honesty is how I win the fight. Mm. That's how I win. That's how I overcome. That's how I stay free. I'm actually coming up on three years clean. From Come on, three years. Yeah. I mean, my wife is really good on checking in on me. You know, how you yeah. doing? You know, have yeah. you been slipping up at all? And, and she set guardrails for you, right? Oh, when absolutely. You came back. Yeah. She's just not like, oh, you'll be fine. But no, yeah. She set yeah. parameters. Yeah. yeah, she had the whole list. You're going to meet with my new pastor. We're going to sit down together. We're going to go through therapy and go to counseling. 
and you're going to be honest with me. We're going to set up some filters on your phone. There, yeah, tons of guardrails. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's, let's get to work. Yeah. It wasn't an overnight process at all. Yeah. It was practice. It was a process of renewing the mind. Yeah, because it didn't happen instantly, and there's this idea in our instant uh, want-it-now culture that somehow we're going to be able to solve it instantly. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Been a, it's been a long process, right? Absolutely. That continues yes. even to It continues, day. yeah. We still, we still go to therapy. I see a Christian therapist every other week, and I'm constantly uncovering things. I'm uncovering anger I had from my childhood. Okay. Fears that I had growing up that I didn't know were there because pornography was masking all of that. Yes. See, the enemy didn't want me to get to the root, to the real issue, because if I dare got there, oh my gosh. Sometimes mm. today I believe that he's afraid that I'll wake up. He was afraid that I'd come here today. Oh, come on. Yes. And that, yes. Yes. That through your awakening, we can understand that the addiction isn't even the point. The addiction is the medication to avoid the actual pain that we're trying to cover up or hide from. And the Lord's whole unraveling here is this is, addiction isn't your identity anymore, son. Let me show you who you are. And so what would you tell those of us who are here going, well, you know what, when's the best time to start? When's the best time to address this? 9.52, which is now. (laughs) (laughs) Don't put off freedom, right? No, I would say, man, why settle for bondage when, why settle for prison when freedom awaits you? Yeah. The journey to freedom is is so worth it. It's so invaluable. I can stay at a hotel room, and when I'm traveling for ministry, sometimes I'm by myself, and I I don't feel tempted to turn on the TV. I don't feel like looking at pornography on my phone. Wow. I could, but I just don't want to anymore. It's not there. Because there's real freedom. Come on. Well, I think I speak for our New Hope Ohana when I say just so thankful for your your candor and your transparency and your powerful testimony. And before you go, I was wondering if we could invite up your uh, partner here, your amazing wife. Can you guys welcome up Alicia here right now? So glad that to have you together and and Alicia we were talking and we didn't do this in the other services but we really felt led of the Holy Spirit that God had given you a specific word that you just wanted to share with our sisters yeah definitely um good morning guys um so as women we want the diamond right we want the real thing and God was just showing me like it's cubic zirconia I didn't want to mess that up up here (laughs) we wouldn't want that on our finger and I think that Our husbands get afraid that if they're honest with us, that they're going to lose us. But as women, we're strong. Mm. We're resilient. Mm. And I think more than the act of looking at pornography, I think the betrayal of secrets and lies is the most damaging thing. And the freedom has come between us with transparency, open conversations, not perfection at all. Um, but through that transparency, we've been able to experience healing. And as women, I know it's really hard. We, we have babies, and our bodies change, and we can feel less about ourselves. But that's how the enemy comes in. So I just want to encourage you guys that there is hope, and there is healing for every marriage that goes through this. And I know that I'm not alone. And I really wanted to hear that three years ago. And I felt so alone in the church. Because there are really other women who have been betrayed. And I just want you to know if you're out there, you're not alone. Mm. And I'm going to be here at the table if you want to talk. I'd love to pray with you. Amen. Can we give them a big hand, you guys? Thank you guys so much.
See, the church isn't a place for those who have it perfect, those who have it down, those who have figured it out. The church is a place for those who are broken, know they are sick, and they need a healer. We, our desire is that New Hope would be a place, a safe place where you could come and no matter what it is that's going on, you won't be kicked when you're down. Instead, we serve a God who came down to pick us up. And that's what we pray, is that there, this is not a shame-based culture here at New Hope. Our, our, our Father in heaven does not motivate us by shame. He motivates us and moves us to freedom through his unconditional love. And there's many of us who maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this talked about in a church, and I'm telling you as your pastor, this will not be the last because I believe the church should be the place where we have the freedom and the safety to be able to talk about the places where we are suffering, where we are addicted, where we are changed, because we know the one who holds the key. And his name is Jesus, and he has come here not to just make us feel okay in our sin, but to set us free from our sin. And if there's any place where we should be able to do that, it's here. But it starts, just like with uh, Pastor Mark, it starts with our acknowledgement that there is sin there. That there is addiction there, that I am trapped, that this whole sexual drive that God has given us, this is a dangerous, powerful force that all of us, everyone who's human, deals with. I like to illustrate it this way. There was a, an ad in the paper, and a man uh, put an, an interesting ad, wanted truck drivers uh, to transport over high mountain passes, TNT explosives, pay is very good. <laughs> he, and uh, surprising, not surprisingly, he only had three people that would apply for that kind of precarious job. And uh, the first one walks up and, and, you know, he's wearing a flannel, he's got a long beard and he says, hey, listen, I've been, I've been doing this truck driving thing for a long time and I can get within like a foot of the edge of that mountain pass and I don't even break a sweat. Next driver walks up, kind of a braggadocio, big old 10 gallon cowboy hat on and says, listen, I've been doing this for years, I drive everywhere that can, can drive, I've been driving up, I've been driving down, I've been driving here, I've been driving there. I drive with half my eyes closed, I can sleep and I can drive and I can get so close to the edge that I got half my tire hanging off the other side and I don't even, I don't even break sweat. I'm your man. <laughs> we got one of them drivers right here. I got some TNT out there, you can help me transport it afterwards. The third, third driver walks up and says, Listen, I respect the road, and I respect the load, and I'm never going to get close enough to find out. Who do you think the owner hired? Right. Because he understood what he was driving. And I think a lot of us underestimate the power of how God wired us. That he, it's not an accident that we have a sexual drive. And make no mistake, that is driving with TNT. That is some explosive stuff that the enemy has enjoyed exploiting over and over again. And some of us are, are right there on the edge. We're driving right on the edge. We can look over, and here's the myth that I'm hoping to dispel today. You think you're actually in control of your addiction. And because of that pride, you don't see any reason to confess. And what I want to tell you is you're not in control of that addiction. That addiction is in control of you because it's never going to be satisfied to simply let you drive close until you're actually over the edge, like this next picture here. 
And there's some of us that are right on the edge and there's some of us that have already gone over because of our sexual addiction that you've already had marriages destroyed, you've already had family destroyed, uh, jobs destroyed, relationships destroyed, and the enemy would love to tell you, you're done, you're stuck, and there's no coming back from this. And I'm here to tell you, I serve a God that can rescue us no matter how far we've fallen. That's the God that I serve. It doesn't matter how deep you are into this addiction. Jesus conquered it on the cross. But you and I must, go, must recognize at first what we're driving with and, and that we not, aren't, aren't supposed to mess around with it. We're not supposed to live a Christian life where we can see how close to the edge we can get without going over. No, we're supposed to live a Christian life how close to Christ we can get so that we can be overcomers. That's how God has called us to live this life. And we understand, of course, that Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6.18 that you and I are to flee from sexual immorality. Not mess around with it. Not just toy with it. Run from it. Why does Scripture say that? To Christians. Because God knows how powerful the sexual drive can be. He says if you see that, if there's that temptation, don't, don't toy with it. Run from it. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, John, it's, I mean, that's not even realistic. We live in a world that is sexually charged. Everything we eat, drink, wear is sold with sex. How in the world are we supposed to walk around with our eyes closed? How are we supposed to, are we supposed to just run all over the place? Are we supposed to be monks hid up in a, in a hill somewhere? No, no. No, we're supposed to walk with wisdom. As close to Christ as we can possibly get. I like how Martin Luther puts it. You can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair, okay? You can't keep from living in a world that is filled with lust and perversion, but you can keep it from finding a place in your mind, a permanent place. We live in Hawaii, surrounded by oceans. Guys, when you walk across uh, by a woman who's scantily clad, the question isn't, are you going to see them? Yes, we live in Hawaii. The question is, how are you going to see them? How many times are you going to take a look? It's that simple. Another way to put it is this. If you're on a diet, don't go in the donut shop, okay? It's, there, there is a basic wisdom here that says if you already know this is and what we're acknowledging, if you already know this is what we're susceptible to, then we're going to go as far away from that edge as we possibly can. But here's the reason why even all of that that I just said still doesn't work for many of us. We can't run from our brain. It says flee from sexual immorality, but what if that's already in there? Years and years and years of that stuff built up in my brain. I can run as far as I can that way and that way, and guess what's still with me? My brain. And the brain... Is the battlefield, not the body. Before I ever act something out with my body, I've already agreed to do it in my brain. So the devil knows the only place he needs to win is our thought life. That's, you, you heard that from Pastor Mark's testimony. That's, that's how he got him as a, as a little kid and began to just build up time after time, click after click, picture after picture, this tendency of, my brain is now determining how I look at women, how I look at sex, how I get my fix of dopamine, how I feel pleasure. And so Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, actually gives us a way forward. 
a way to actually change the way that we think. Because if the battlefield is the brain, this is where we need to win the war. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 3, says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And maybe for some of us, this is the first wake-up call. We are at war. Please, don't buy in to the lie that this is peacetime. There is someone that is fighting to destroy your soul, your marriage, your family, your future. He knows he's at war and would be really happy if all of God's people just pretended like there's nothing going on. We are at war, therefore we need to learn how to fight in a way that wins. And that's what he goes on to say here. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. That, that phrase right there shows God's intimate involvement with our freedom. He wants to be directly and intimately involved with setting us free from every addiction we've ever faced. And he's saying, I am that power to overcome. You heard Pastor Mark say he tried to do it by his own willpower, and how well did that work? It didn't. The weapons of the world use logic and willpower, and that's, you can never overcome sin that way. You can, you can hear a great sermon and go, oh, yes, that's good, and I'm going to be better because of it. And you're trying to make that happen by your own willpower. No, he says the way we do it is through the divine power of God. And what do we do with that divine power? We demolish strongholds. Now, we hear that phrase and we're like, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. In those days, the church in Corinth that would have had this word read in a community of believers like this, they would have completely understood because he's using military terminology that they are very familiar with because they were under Roman rule at that time. And in fact, Rome was the reigning empire in the time, in the time that this scripture was written. And how did they become the reigning empire? They had a winning strategy that won every single time. It didn't matter how big a wall was around a city, they knew they could take it because they were committed to the long-term process of taking that city. So as long as you had a wall, you thought you were fine. However, Rome would set up a siege ramp against that wall, and they could wait that place out. Eventually, they're going to run out of food inside that city. And while those people inside that city are stuck on the outside, they're doing what? Removing one brick at a time from that wall. They've got all the food. They've got all the supplies they need. And then finally, when everyone else is weak, and starving on the inside, Rome comes through that now massive hole in the wall and takes the city for themselves. They demolish that stronghold around that city so they can take what's inside. And Paul is saying, you and I have been given the power to demolish the stronghold that's around our mind and take back what's inside for Jesus Christ. He says exactly that when he says, in verse 5, we demolish arguments. Now he's talking about the mind. We've got all these arguments against God, all these excuses, all these justifications, all these reasons why I don't have to confess. We demolish, not just put up with them, demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. You understand, he's talking about the warfare of the mind. 
And what I see here is he's saying, if you didn't get into this mess overnight, what makes you think that you're going to get out of this mess overnight? If it took years and years to get into this sexual addiction, it's, we're not going to be freed in a day, but we can be free daily, one brick at a time, dismantling these false thoughts, this household of thoughts that's been set up against the obedience to Jesus Christ. And that's why I say this morning is that we will find freedom in Christ when we commit to the process of sexual purity. We will find freedom in Christ when we commit. This is not going to be some kind of haphazard, accidental thing. When we commit to the process of sexual purity. It's a process. So what does that look like? If you've got, um, as Pastor Mark was describing, a wall of thoughts around your brain that keeps you from being obedient to Christ, that wall of thoughts looks something like this. Well, I'll never be like Jesus. Poof, brick. Well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so at the office. Brick. Well, no one knows what's going on, so it can't be that bad. Brick. Well, what am I supposed to do? This is how my dad taught me to be a man. He handed me a pile of magazines and said, look at these. Brick. Well, it's not hardcore porn. It's more soft porn. And I only look at it, you know, a couple times a week. Brick. Those are all households of thoughts, false thoughts against God that keep us from being obedient to Christ. So one brick at a time, he begins to have us dismantle these lies and these justifications for compromise that have been around our brain for some of us a lifetime. And little by little, because he is, please understand this, he is personally, intimately, eternally committed to your freedom. The question is, can you be as committed to yours? It's not going to happen overnight. But it will happen when we commit to that long-term process in submitting our thoughts, those false thoughts, to the truth of God's word that tells us how we are to think, to give us the mind of Christ. And how do we do that? Well, we commit to the process, but we also commit to the process in community. In community. You guys catch that? Not just the process on your own. Because especially when it comes to sexual addiction, we figure like we can do this on our own. But we commit to the process of sexual purity in the context of community. It's, it's James 5.16 that confess your sins to each other. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. It's powerful and effective. Did you notice that was the turning point for Pastor Mark and his story? Right? It was when he confessed his sins to a brother, got it all out into the light, all out into the openness, that then they prayed and then he was healed. We try and skip that. Like he said, we try and skip that part of telling somebody else about it because that's still a place where we can maintain control on the steering wheel or riding right on the edge. But our confession hands the control over to God. And we actually have I don't know, maybe you think, well, well this is too big. I don't even know these people in here. I can't just walk up to somebody I don't know and, and tell them my deepest, darkest secrets. Well, that's why we have a couple of small group options for you if you're ready to be free. And the first is life change. 
Life Change is uh, one of our um, most enduring, most fruitful ministries that we've had for the existence of New Hope. And every Monday night, we've got a group of people that come in here, and they just get honest and real through the power of Scripture and the power of community. Really dealing with a lot of inner healing because a lot of the addictions that we have are just a result of trying to medicate a wound that has happened in our lives that has never been healed. And if you would like to find out more about that or sign up for that, please go right out under the Ahana tent and sign up for that today. Another group that we're starting out of that is called Celebrate Recovery. It's a 12-step program that's modeled after the Beatitudes of Jesus. And it's for anybody with a hurt, habit, or hang-up, which is, let's be honest, every single one of us. We all got hurts. We all got habits. We all got hang-ups. And if you'd like to be in our first class when we launch uh, Celebrate Recovery, then you can go right out there and sign up for that. It's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. And then finally, we have our Conquer series out of our Pure Desire ministry, which is specifically for men who want to be free of their addiction to pornography. And again, none of these things are instantaneous. It's not I show up for one class and boom, I'm done. No, this is a long process. So you could go sign up for that out there. We haven't launched that yet, but you can get in on the first class of our Conquer series. And all of that to say, if you try and do this alone, if you're nodding your head in agreement going, I want to feel that feeling that Pastor Mark had when he got the weight lifted, when God healed his marriage, I want that. God has that for you, but he will not make you go after it. You and I have to make the choice to do one thing today. And it's repent. That's where it started. We have to repent to God and then confess our sins to others. We will be healed. Why is repentance so important? Well, let me illustrate it this way. One of the largest switch track, um, railroad track switch places is in St. Louis. And all of these railroad tracks all converge in this same spot. And if you've ever been on a railroad track, you understand that the way that these large locomotives with these massive amounts of cargo, the way that they switch from one track to the next is this slender little lever. And all the conductor has to do is make sure that's switched. And in St. Louis, specifically, there's this one track where if he pulls it one way, that train and its locomotive will end up all the way on the west coast in San Francisco. And if he pulls it another way, that same train will end up on that track all the way on the East Coast in New York City. That one lever can determine the entire destiny and direction of this massive locomotive. And that one lever in our life that will change the way we think, dismantling the false thoughts so that we can finally make them obedient to Christ, that one lever is repentance. That you and I would be honest with God that we have been on the wrong track, headed in the wrong direction, and that as much as we think we've been in control, we've been being controlled by our addictions. Just switch that lever. Repentance, the Greek word metanoia in New Testament, literally means making a 180-degree change. You were going one direction, and now you're going in the exact opposite direction. That's what God is calling us to today, to repent. And when's the best time to do that? Tomorrow? A week from now? Maybe when we're not thinking about this? No. When's the best time? 
I'm not going to talk about it very much because it's still very raw for my family and I. But we, um, we lost a, a, a good um, friend of our family on Friday night in a car accident in Hawaii Kai. He was uh, one of our Hanai sons, and uh, he lost his life. And uh, I thought I had more time with him. I thought never in a million years would I see him one day and then not see him the next. And if I could strive home the point, none of us have any guarantee on time except for this time right here. And my question to you would be, isn't it about time to be free? Don't wait. Don't delay. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. But in this moment, handcrafted by the Spirit of God, he would say, you can be free, son. You can be free, daughter, if you will repent and receive my forgiveness.